Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 253rd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's wishing everyone a safe and prosperous 2021. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everyone. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing all sorts of valuable information with you guys. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, how are we kicking off the brand new year? I'm sure we'll be completely different and much better than the last one. Yeah, new year, new show. We are now exclusively talking about uh, shoe finance, probably cool. some collectible coins. Wow. Um, stamps. Val- valuable, yep, stamps, valuable plants. I have a Japanese maple in my backyard that's apparently like a $300 tree or some nonsense. Oh. Or, yeah, that I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to kill it. That's um, good for a fifth segment. Yeah. Japanese tree finance. Uh, the shipping's a bitch, though. <laughs> segment one gotta get a flatbed yeah our mtgo metagame week in review we've got some pioneers some modern and i think some legacy given the i think you said you want to talk about that uh segment two our top paper movers a fairly large list this week uh followed by mtgo movers segment three our paper cards to watch definitely a long list over here uh stuff to put on your holiday shopping list um and finally segment four collector's corner uh, or I should say topic of the week, um, our 2021 goals, which I'm definitely not going to come up with during the segue between segment three and segment four. Uh, <laughs> so let's start out here, our MTGO Metagame Week in Review. Um, I mean, the Pioneer Challenge looks, the Pioneer and Modern Challenge both look relatively straightforward here, uh, especially, man, that Paladin Hammer over in Modern. Holy moly. Yeah. So Pioneer Challenge, we got Mono Red Aggro in first, Mono Black Aggro in second. Probably the spiciest deck in the top eight this week is Boros Prowess. This is uh, something I haven't seen before. Lots of cards here that were either are either standard, standard players from various seasons. We got two Adanto Vanguard, four Dreadhorde Arcanist. That's a card that's made its way all the way back into Legacy. Uh, four favored hoplite that was a standard deck at one point four monastery swift spear that's an all over the place card two soul scar mage uh, three tenth district legionnaire that's a two two haste for white and a red whenever you cast a spell that targets it put a plus one plus one counter on it then scry one and then four gird for battle and i'm willing to bet the average <laughs> listener does not even know what set this card is from it is in fact from jumpstart it's a sorcery for one white, and it says put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures. All right, so 
Sam Stoddard recently mentioned that there was... Uh, wait, hold on. Let me get this exact card here. Oh, come on. Now you're going to be slow on me. That There's a card called Killing Glare. It is from Gate Crash. And... Uh, like two days, like I think it was literally the day before Gate Crash went to the printer, Sam Saad, who was a contractor at the time, picked up the card, Killing Glare, which had a different name at the time, and said the card out loud. And the car, and instead of glare, it was gaze, as in to gaze at something. So when you said the card out loud, it was killing gaze. And the day before the set went to printer, they changed the name because they didn't want players saying killing gays out loud. <laughs> I, which, right? Like, wow. Yeah, that would have been terrible. Okay. I am wondering if anyone said gird for battle out loud <laughs> because like trying to get that out of your mouth is so difficult. It's not that it's a, like an unfortunate term uh, when you hear it. Just gird for Gird for ba- gird for battle, like uh, I'll gird. Yo, what? Yeah. Like gastrointestinal reflux disease? I don't. What? What are you talking about? Yeah. What? A, yeah. Sorry, There's was... a bunch of cuteness in here. In 18 instance, four Boros Charm, four Defiant Strike, four God's Willing, four Reckless Rage, and two Titan Strength. The Defiant Strikes, God Willings, and Titan Strength are very familiar to me because they're all stuff I play in Feather in commander and indeed the sideboard has three feather because feather plays real well with all of this this nonsense like favorite hoplite the cute thing about hoplite is that it's got heroic so when you cast it when you uh target it you get a a plus one plus one counter on it and prevent all the damage that would be dealt to it that turn which combos super sweetly with reckless rage out of ixalan block which is one red for deal four damage to target creature you don't control at instant speed and two damage to target creature you do control. So as you target the favorite hoplite with it, it's getting bigger, and the damage doesn't matter. That's that's cute. That yeah. is very very cute. And it's and it's also cute with the Danto Vanguard, of course, because you can pay for life to give Vanguard indestructible. So if you need to do the Reckless Rage trick, you can pay life to do it via the Vanguard. And with the Monastery Swift Spear and the Soul Scar Mage, they start with two toughness each. So they don't mind taking the two damage from Reckless Rage either, because they immediately from Prowess go up to 2-3 status. So unless you're playing against another burn deck, they're not going to be able to punish you for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I like the... that. That's a, and it, I said it's a cute interaction, but normally when I say that, it's a mild pejorative. But in this case, it's, it's pretty nifty. I like yeah. that. This looks like a well-oiled machine. As long as you don't draw all instants or all creatures, you really kind of want to have a mix of probably three threats plus two instants to go with them and a couple of lands, and that's your ideal hand. Yeah. Uh, it is worth flagging that out of 19 lands, they don't run the red-white flip land uh, at a hmm. Zendikar Rising. Mm-hmm. So no love for that that uh template here they well, they they do like everything else in the aggro realm get to run Lurus of the dream dead sure so which is a huge plus for these aggro decks to be able to counter sweepers by pulling the Lurus up into your hand if somebody gets off a supreme verdict etc well you know with 19 lands they can afford to be choosy it's not like they have a lot of slots to fill out sure did you know that uh, were you playing in Theros? Yep. 
Did you ever see that? What was it like the Eleven Land Draft Deck? I think it was. I think it was G Fabs who kind of pioneered it. I was, vaguely uh, remember this. Yeah, it was like favorite hoplite and all the prowess cards, and you'd only play like like nine to eleven lands with a goal of only basically only drawing one in your opening hand, and then like one more over the course of the game, and every spell you had was one mana and cantrip. Yeah, and th- that was with the uh, ordeals, right? Yeah. So you you drop like ordeal of Thassa on top of the hoplite and start swinging for four right away or something, and then you just get bigger and bigger. Yeah. And then when it when the ordeal went away, you drew cards. Is that yes? Yeah. One of them, yeah, yeah, Thassa's yeah. ordeal drew you cards. Yeah. I, I think I built the blue white standard version of that at one point. Mm, it was nifty. My friend uh, had some good success with that. So anyway, the the rest of this top eight looks more or less the same as we've seen recently. Black white auras, then four color Omnath, Boros Burn as opposed to Boros Prowess, Mono Red Aggro, pretty similar to the first place list, and then the only other fairly interesting kitchen sink deck was the Yorion Esper control deck uh, in eighth place. This is just everything. It's ten Esper planes walkers, uh, emphasis on Teferi Time Raveler and Narset Parter of Veils. You got Atris, Oracle of Half-Truths, Charming Prince, Sin Collector, Skyclave Apparition, and two Yorions in the main, plus one Yorion in the sideboard. Uh, 11 sorceries, Amiria's Call, Seagate Restoration, 3 Supreme Verdict, 2 Thought Erasure, and 4 Thoughtseize, 2 Do- Dovin's Veto, 4 Fatal Push, 2 Elspeth Conquers Death, four, 2 Oath of Kaya, 4 Omen of the Sea, 2 Trial of Ambition. It's not like we haven't seen variations of this before earlier this year, um, but this is it's been a little while since I recall seeing it in the top 8. It's also still worth flagging that these Yorion decks are a driver if we ever get back to paper for lands to to climb if they're prevalent because it runs 33 lands, so you just need more of them and in, and in fact, if you go back to that 19 land tight red white prowess deck, no sign of the pathway, but here in the Esper build where they need 33, they do have two bright climb pathway, two clear water pathway, etc. because they just have a bigger land list, so they're going to go for deeper into the templates. Mm-hmm. It is a little amusing. Just if it runs so many lands. So last week we talked over in the Modern Challenge about how Paladin Hammer had been two of the two first places in a row in Modern Challenges, and it's not probably technically true that that took place because we tend to be looking at the challenges from the weekend just before we we do the cast on tuesday nights so there are other challenges like thursdays and fridays or whatever that are in between that don't end up uh, being covered that said from the weekend challenges (laughs) not only did paladin finish first again it finished first second third yeah and i I did (laughs) i I just i distinct yeah right so half of the top eight in modern was Paladin Hammer. Crazy talk. Like this is this is reminds me of when Hardened Scales was being laughed at for being a one-time show up at a Star City Games tournament and then just started showing up consistently and basically took over for the original version of an Affinity that had been a mainstay of modern for ages and sat pretty for whatever it was, 12 or 18 months. Um, Paladin Hammer is looking real strong and there's not like any super compelling specs in this deck unless you think paper is coming back sometime soon but there are cards in there that are have already popped and are and whose foils are going to be crazy if they don't catch a reprint sometime soon like Cigar to Zade foils are more or less invisible at this point 
Colossus Hammer foils, not easy to find. That that could go a ways. I mean, that was from M20. Wizards doesn't have that on the agenda to print in 2021. I could easily believe it. And if Paper Play comes back by September, those foils could be real pricey. Yeah, this deck has some interesting ones, both in the sense that, you know, the supply is already pretty tight and could get real bad if we move to Paper World without reprints. But um, at the same time, you know, it's very cool to see this deck. I feel like it's probably not too long for this world. Uh, maybe, maybe. But significant paper play is a long ways off. And Yeah, there's it, no guarantee that this is still going to be a part of the meta. Who yeah, knows who, who knows, knows what new Omnaths we're getting in Kaladesh like, <laughs> that will invalidate all the previous cards? Like, when is Modern Horizons 2? That's this summer, right? Summer 2021. Correct. So... Yeah. There's no way that we're going to have significant paper tournaments before then. Like, we just, we know that that's not going to be the case. So, what are the odds that Modern Horizons 2 comes and goes and, and this deck is still on Hammer top. stays as good, right? It seems pretty <laughs> unlikely. It's tough. Well, and would be true of any deck. Like, yes. It, yeah, yeah. I, I, and the reason I want to look at Legacy shortly here is to flag just what an impact new cards are having in this era where design was basically off the chain for two years. Um, and it remains to be seen whether they're going to reel it in uh, anytime in 2021. I did see an interesting point somebody made that uh, if you want magic cards to be reasonable, if you, if you, if you keep hiring professional magic players, they're going to keep making busted magic cards essentially. Which I thought was kind of interesting, and without, probably an element of truth to that. Without being intimately familiar with the inner workings of the design dynamic within Wizards, hard to say for sure. But you know, I, I don't know how much of it comes from X players versus people who don't play. Because I mean, you can also make the argument that if you don't play at a high level, you don't really you're not in a, as good of a position to fully understand what it is you're planning on tabling and and if they haven't funded and, and this really sounds like has long s sounded like the real problem they don't internally fund a really strong playtest loop where they're running constant tournaments with the cards as though things are going on you know they used to talk for marrow talked forever about the future future league and whatever but they don't really seem to take it all that seriously if it's even still going on and even when they do test, my understanding is that they mostly test for standard mm -hmm. as yeah. opposed to modern legacy, vintage, EDH, etc. So even though by any reasonable standard, commander is what matters the most now. And arguments can be made that standard will rotate soon enough that problems can typically be dealt with by bannings without much of an effect. But if you make an Oko and it echoes back into vintage, that affects the most enfranchised players and pisses off the most most people that matter i i saw um a conversation amongst some individuals and uh one of the women um go, her twitter handle is like bold bebo and she said you know kind of made this mildly inflammatory position that i'm a better game designer because i've never played magic and a lot of people I know play Magic. Or a lot of game designers I know play Magic, I think. And I, I I may be extrapolating a little bit here on what she actually said, but so don't uh, assign all the blame to her for this. This is kind of me expanding on the thought. 
But um, if everyone in the room has designed, you know, knows how to play magic and has been um, seriously influenced by that, they're going to follow similar patterns for design development and have ideas of what's important. Whereas if you're in the room and you have spent all of that time that would have been spent on magic doing other games, you have different approaches, which can be very valuable in a room like that. And, uh, you know, you kind of wonder when you think about like the, not just the FFL, but the play design team and stuff like that. Like, do you want your play design team to have be no, or, or your design team really to be no magic players? Like, no, you want some of those people, probably a lot of those people to be very knowledgeable about magic like very good but you're not going to get those more uh unique and distinct experience uh, viewpoints if you don't start including people that aren't hardcore magic players um so a little bit of that probably adds a lot of necessary variety i don't know just uh, a fascinating insight from some people that i saw that i thought was worth considering so all that said paladin hammer was again half of this top eight four color omnath and fourth which also showed up in the Pioneer Challenge. Uh, Blue White Spirits in sixth, Black Red Shadow Scourge in seventh, and Red White Burn in eighth. Probably the most notable includes one of the Paladin Hammer decks was running the full complement of four Giver of Runes, and the Blue White Spirits deck runs Skyclave Apparition and gets extra mileage out of what is already one of the best new competitive cards of the year because they have all the spirit synergies. So you've got another spirit that makes the Skyclave Apparition come in as a 3-3. You've got a, another spirit that, uh, let's see, uh, like Selfless Spirit can sack to make the, the Skyclave Apparition indestructible if you need it to, so that you can make sure they don't get to trade back some resources. And you've got... Shacklegeist that lets you tap, basically tap your Skyclave Apparition for value. You've got Rattle Chains that lets you play your spirit spells at flash speed, so you get the Skyclave Apparition at instant speed. Mm-hmm. I mean, best of all worlds. There is uh, some interesting stuff going on in there. That is apparently also a 61 card deck. <laughs> top 8 of a modern tournament. Okay. I mean, really, once Yorion came out, it was uh, whatever. (laughs) It's like whatever. All right. So moving on over to segment two, the top paper movers of the week. First one I want to flag is not huge on the percentage scale, but it certainly matters because it's been a topic of conversation since it was revealed. The Jeweled Lotus Foil Extended Art has gone from about 350 at the start of the holidays (laughs) to currently lowest price on TCG for a near mint copy is 475. And there are, I think, less than 10 listings left there. Over in Japan, Haruyuya has their buy list on this card set at 400 US dollars. And the Japanese copies are buy listing at $1,000. 110,000 yen. Mm, that's pretty ridiculous. That's moving even faster than a monofoil has moved. I don't remember what. Uh, we were talking about English. We talked about Japanese or English foil extended art jeweled lotuses, and we were talking about what they would be within what was like three months. I think was that what it was? Yep, six months. Hmm. And I think I said I expected low two hundreds. And I think I agreed that it could go well below that, assuming more inventory showed up. The problem yeah. is, 
and this is going to be a theme throughout this episode, inventory has not showed up. And literally nobody on any continent has signaled to me that they've heard that inventory is imminent. So, <laughs> and, it, and at this point, from the Japanese perspective, even when, even though we heard recently that, say, uh, more VIP boosters got floated into the market, which was probably not a reprinting of VIP boosters from Double Masters at so much as it was distributors releasing inventory or a vendor who had gone too deep did a deal and, and sold some into the market or whatever. Or Wizards was dumping them through Amazon, all of which is... Some of, some of all of that is true. But they didn't reprint Japanese VIP, and they're not going to reprint Japanese Commander Legends nor are they going to reprint the German ones that I was picking up in Europe at 210 a box. I had my daughter, Lara, four years old and cute as a button, pick the box out of the case that was going to have the quote-unquote good cards in it. And lo and behold, she pulls me a foiled German extended art jeweled lotus. Hmm. So let's say that that card is, I don't know, 600, 700 basically paid for most of the case and then we went on to open a regular foiled jeweled lotus vampiric tutor hull breacher foil extended art opposition agent like the ev on the commander legends collector boosters right now is something like 274 that's it's in the 260s to 270s it's ridiculous yeah that's quite high even some of the foil, the good foil etched cards have already made a move and been drained out. And <clears throat> as we're going to talk over on for multiple cards tonight, there is a lot of inventory drain going on because whereas Zendikar Rising supposedly <clears throat> stole print uh, capacity from Commander Legends CBs because Wizards wanted more figured that the expeditions were the safest bet, like that those collector boosters would be the hottest item, but then failed to deliver them in the first wave on time, so didn't get to leverage the hype bubble as efficiently as they should have. And mm -hmm. as a result, there are now boxes floating around in the 170-175 range for Zenikar Rising, even though their contents are very compelling especially in a longer-term case. But all of that being true, the Commander Legends collector boosters are in much scarcer supply. They have only inched up since they were released, and they're real hard to come by anywhere under 270 right now, and the EV justifies it. So why should anybody underprice? Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting scenario. COVID really kind of turned all this on its head a little bit. Uh, so, any so anyway, I told the Discord today that Jeweled Lotus Foil Extended Art is almost certainly a hold because <laughs> if, if more supply doesn't even if supply shows up the drop rates on these are so low that unless it's an unlimited supply if it's just like 15% of initial release or something on the next chunk of inventory that slips into the market say second week of third or fourth week of February after Cal time I don't think that's going to matter I, I any more than when Japanese war showed up, it, it slowed down Amano's very much. Yeah, well, it would be such a small impact of cards. Yeah. Like, it just just so... And it, after the hype cycle... We, we, really need, we really needed those CBs to land heading into the holidays. It needed to be second or third week of December. 
to justify it being any larger. And now that they're on to other things, they got Keldheim, <clears throat> then they got Time Spiral Remastered, then Strixhaven, then Modern Horizons 2. I don't see them retreading that ground. Keep in mind, they've still got to get some jump start into the market, which was supposed to be in print all year. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that's just started to make its way into North America in, in sufficient quantity. So all of Commander Legends uh, premium cards are looking real good, especially the extended arts, given that they have a lower drop rate than usual, um, and especially the best of the mythics and rares, and we're going to see some of those show up on this list as we go through here. So Skyline uh, Despot out of uh, Conspiracy 2 foils from 25 to 50 or so. Travis called the non-foils back on episode 251. These are not easy to come by and uh, have a limited number of printings. Yeah, I, th- I think I seem to recall mentioning at the time that I wanted to pick foils, but there was like two on TCG, so it didn't even count. Yeah. Stone Shaker Shaman uh, is apparently a Uriok card. Yeah, uh, it damages players for their untapped lands, something like that. Oh, they at the end of each player's turn, they sacrifice their untapped lands. Oh, so nasty. It forces yeah forces them to, to tap their lands entirely or all their lands, which then means you get uh, the your mana burn. Exactly the type of card that your lock wants to see so that shaman foils from seven to about 13 or so i would imagine that's a relatively shallow uh trough to try to cultivate yeah this is this is that you know one of those cards that you see every commander set where it's like this one weird old card that you know if you bought it right on the announcement of the set you could get a couple of them for dirt cheap and then sell them for whatever five to ten bucks but no one out there is really making that much money. And I checked the the non-foil supply is way too deep to even bother. Yeah. Trust, um, Tressorhorn sinks out of, uh, is it Cold Snap? Foils, yeah. uh, Snowlands from 5 to 10. We saw the same thing when Snow was rumored for Modern Horizons. <laughs> These things go up, and then people realize there's nowhere to play them, and they go back down. Yeah. But it's, it's there, I guess. It exists. <laughs> Um, Tooth and Nail foils out of Modern Masters, 40 to 80, supposedly. Just drained uh, out, yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen this in quite some time. Modern Masters, it was Mirrodin and then Modern Masters. So for a card that feels like a staple of the format, uh, and I haven't gotten many copies of that. At this point, I would not want to be involved in that, and I would instead be holding off on uh, waiting for... A, a reprint that has got to be in the pipeline. And if they reprint that at rare with the current foil drop rates, then <laughs> yeah, it's going to get hammered. Uh, and I'm yeah. not sure that this, the original version from Mirrodin is more likely to hold than the modern masters version. Modern masters version in that circumstance is likely to, you won't see it plummet on TCG. You just, people will have no motivation to buy. So it'll just kind of be frozen in time. And the buy mm-hmm. the buy list demand will drop bottom will drop out on that so a lot of copy there won't be very many copies from that set version floating back into the market. Yeah, yeah. I so I I would be a happy seller here and I would just be waiting until another opportunity presents itself. Zancha sleeper agent out of Commander twenty eighteen going from ten to twenty or so presumably on the back of Blim comedic genius being built as a deck in Commander. 
Yeah, this guy is. Oh, let me get the rules text because I think Zan- no I think Zanch is a female. Uh, I'm talking about Blim. Uh, the rule sucks for Blim, which is he when you when he deals combat damage to a player, they gain control of a permanent you control. Uh, and then each player loses life and discards equal to the number of permanents they control, but you don't own. So like every time he hits somebody, you give them something then they everybody loses life and discards cards based on, on that. Uh, and then Xantia, which is a card we're talking about, is a legendary creature that when it comes into play, it just gets given to an opponent. And then it's sort of a, a booby trap, a booby prize. You don't want Xantia in your control. So it just works really well with Blim right, uh, right in his wheelhouse. Sweet. Kiki-Jiki yep. Mirror Breaker, original foils out of... Well, no, not original foils. Second printing foils at a Modern Masters in theory, two twenty-seven to five hundred eight. This is just people playing games with what they've got their cards listed at on TCG Player. Uh, I don't see anybody paying that price for that. It, it, in no way. But even still, that's a. I mean, how is that possible? It's just it's been so sense. many years. We're talking about almost ten years since Modern Masters. This is an AMA too. And the print run was real low in Modern Masters. Did, there's the last old foil copy of this card was like thirty three dollars. I don't. This was never two hundred bucks. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like there's one copy at five hundred, but like there's no way the start on this is two twenty seven. The start on this is like thirty dollars. So it's gonna come back in stock at probably like fifty, roughly. A hot tip: if you see this kind of scenario where we're not even talking about the Champions of Kamigawa foil, which you could get a solid premium on as the original printing, if you can find the right buyer. In this scenario, where it's a secondary or tertiary or beyond printing, and you see this ridiculous price posted on the index sites, don't try to post it in that range, please. <laughs> Pull it out of your binder and post it way below and actually make your sale. Well, not to mention that, like, who cares? Like, or, uh, let me rephrase that. It's not going, you're not going to sell this card for $500. Like, I don't know. It's never going to happen. You're much, yeah, you're much better off setting it at like double the old price and hoping to get lucky. Ancestors profit out of Onslaught foils from five to just over 11 or so. You're thinking this is folks fooling around with EDH clerics? Yeah, it was something like that. Um, these kind of popped. The clerics across the board got excited excited with uh i don't remember the exact commander that got printed but i remember the event because i've been harassing jason alt about clerics for years since he wrote about them with uh aya and they never went anywhere and then like just recently they actually did go someplace and i sold a bunch of these like claire i sold several cleric cards um, but the name of the current one escapes me. But it is worth pointing out that I am uh, the only person with a foil Ancestor's Prophet on TCG Player right now. So, or at least a near mint one. So whatever that's worth, take that. <laughs> take take our comments here with a grain of salt. Areo Soratami Ascendant foils from twenty five or so to over fifty. That's that modern deck that's been making the rounds. Uh, there have been some wild variations of it that have been posted to the Discord lately. Uh, it looks pretty fun. Pure Steel Paladin foils out of Double Masters 8 to 19. That's modern hammer time dominating challenges and so forth. 
again, I I don't know who's buying these to build the deck so many months in advance, but I wish them the best of luck. Nath of the Guilt Leaf, uh, Lorwyn foils from 19 to 45 plus or so. That's on the back of black green elves showing up in Kaldheim, I would imagine. Yes. Uh, well, Mi- Miara and Numa is a com- partner pairing from Commander Legends. It seems to be mildly popular, and it's, it, they're elves, black green elves, and they like the stuff. And after the Guilt Leaf does, and after the Guilt Leaf is, you know, all, only from Lorwyn. At least the foils are only Lorwyn, I think. So there's not. Uh, oh, there weren't many copies of this to begin with. So you probably only needed a couple people to build this deck and want Nath and that clean them out. Chromatic Sphere foils at a Mirrodin original printing, uh, 29 to 73 or so. Again, a situation where your last sold numbers on TCG are going to be much lower, and you're going to have trouble unloading those in any quantity. Karavik, the Merciless, out of Time Spiral, 9 to 25, uh, Sakashima, Vile, Yurlock decks, etc. This card's going to get reprinted in Time Spiral Remastered, or at least it's entirely possible it will. Yeah, it might be. Uh, I mean, that is his original home, so it is possible that that's where he shows up. It's hard to say for sure, but uh, yeah, I would be a seller if I had any. Unholy Grotto foils of Onslaught. That's a cleric land related land, 15 to 40 plus. That's an old water foil in no danger uh, at all. So it, you probably could move one or two at that uh, quantity to whoever's building cleric decks for EDH. What? commander is this that people are interested there was aura skyclave hierophant from zendikar rising form on a three three core cleric Mm -hmm. whenever he or another cleric dies return a cleric with lesser mana cost from your graveyard to your battlefield so i think that was him that popped up that people have been playing with and it was Ailee was the old one. The old cleric. Not Aya. Oh, yeah, the Aya. pilgrim. Yeah, that's what we were talking about. Uh, Harold of Sarah, right? You were just talking about in Holy Grotto. Harold of Sarah, non-foils, 4 to 15. I mean, this is is Whatever. It's out there. It exists. Um, Jessica's Will, though. Big week here for Jessica's Will. Non-foils, just basic copies, not the extended arts. Um, like 270 to almost 11 for the non-foils and like 350 to 15 for the foils. Um, and I think you had mentioned before the, uh, who was it, Jimmy said that this was like the best card in the set out of Commander Legends or something to that effect. Um, or at, and least, at least the foil. best, at least, yeah, it, it was in their top cards from the set. And they, top I think, cards. Uh, I think Josh said that he thought it was like a, a true staple of the format. But most of this has been speculator activity, and yet the card is good, and there is real demand for it. People have been paying... This is on a real steep ramp this week. We had people in our Discord that sold copies on TCG Player foil extended art versions that they got under 10 Our group buy price was $7.20 a copy in December, and they were sold in the 40s and 50s this week. So you still, if you picked up two copies in a group buy and sold them, you paid for your year of Pro, pro Trader. <laughs> <laughs> and if you were cracking Commander Legends booster boxes, like I cracked almost two cases of German uh, and a couple, couple English boxes as well, pulled 
two or three additional copies out of there. I mean, to pull a foil extended art rare out of a, a $200 CB box and then flip it for 40 bucks, you're covering 20% of the box off just one card and still have things like opposition agents and hull breachers and maybe a jeweled lotus. You got the dual lands, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the EV is really just extravagant on those boxes right now. And I and the thing about Jessica's will taking off is that it won't be the last thing. There are at least twenty foil extended art cards under pressure. A few of the etched cards as well already. And again, if that supply doesn't fill back in, they're just going to take off like rocket ships because not only were the extended art drop rates lower in this set, but the commons and uncommons are. I mean, the common foil extended arts especially are not actually commons. So anybody who priced them like they were commons didn't do their research. They are, the foils, and commons and uncommons, as far as we could tell from mass cracking data, are essentially the same. It's, it's interesting, and I, I, it's probably good that Wizards hasn't come forward to say whoops, there's way less Commander Legends than there was supposed to be. Because if they did, it would probably create a ridiculous run on the existing supply. But I do really wonder if Wizards is sitting around internally going, well, crud. <laughs> like well, but the, all of the, our The thing is, is that from everything I've heard... We were supposed with, to have so much more of this out there. From everything I've heard, Wizards just doesn't really think along these lines. Because it's not that Commander Legends is in short supply. You can get regular boxes any old place. Wizards doesn't care if the market doesn't have additional premium. Like, they would love to sell infinite premium, hence why they went tried to go super deep with the VIPs and shove them down everybody's throat. But they're ready to move on to the next thing. Like They, they don't want to undercut Kaldheim CBs to just go out of their way to print more Commander Legends CBs if they think that, that they will sell roughly equivalent. Now, personally... If I got to choose between them at the same price, it's a no-brainer. Commander Legends CBs are easily the best CBs ever, just in terms of how many super staples are in the set. And the low drop rates of the foil extended arts driving their prices higher faster. I mean, from a collector-speculator perspective, they're ideal. Zendikar Rising would be a very close second with all of the Fantastic Expeditions, but because they were, uh, there is still supply in the market, their prices are going to lag in terms might take a year, year and a half to really fully recover. And, yeah. and some of them won't the enemy fetch lands specifically because they're getting a reprint again in modern horizons too. Hey, they're, uh, they're tempting. Uh, what are they, what are they out on the market for right now? I haven't really looked the CBs. Yeah. 270 or so. Like I said earlier, the, um, okay. Okay. I mean, I sold three or four copies of Foil Extended Art Jessica's Will in starting in the mid-30s and then up into the mid-high 40s over the last 48 hours. The last one I posted this morning at the highest price lasted 12 minutes. <laughs> and it was posted on my Canadian eBay account ordered into the U.S. So that's somebody in the U.S. Hmm. being like, I don't care if that takes a month to get here. Hmm. That's some demand, all right. So, I mean, how much of, how much of that is FOMO-driven? Probably a lot, but guess what? Yeah. That's gonna. I'll tell you, the best time to pick up Commander Legends foils was literally the weekend of release. That peak supply yeah. delay that that 
famously came into play on Zendikar Rising CBs, providing the best prices like four to six weeks out when the restock finally landed. That's not going to happen here unless that inventory shows up, which again, there's no news saying that it will. Everybody hopes it will, but I, if those land at $200 a box, our people will go deep again. <laughs> I, I would buy as many cases as you would sell me at 200 a box of Commander Legends. Yeah, I mean, I, I got, yeah. I mean, obviously that's hypothetical, but the, that set is, is juicy and people want those cards and you don't really have to worry about them not being good enough. Like, even if it's... Um, even if it's a reasonably modest supply bump, like these are all commander staples you're talking about. Like you're just, if you're thinking on a slightly longer time frame, you're definitely like, yeah, okay, this is fine. Like I'm not worried about this at all. It's still going to be good enough. And the really crazy part here is this set didn't even need jeweled lotus. Like in the box, in in the box that I opened uh, second, the first pack had a foil extended art opposition agent and i was like well that makes that box and then like pack three had a mana drain just regular extended art and i was like oh yeah i forgot mana drains in this set i hadn't opened one of those yet in it (laughs) and i was like jesus christ that's got to be 60 70 bucks by itself so you you get i also i did open one box out of my case that was only like 70 dollars in value and i don't think a single card was over 10 that one hurt and other people have reported similar experiences it's not like you're guaranteed to win but the EV calculation is still basically at the same uh, price as the retail, which makes sense when you have no supply to drive it back the other way. Mm-hmm. So holding these, if you're the kind of person that doesn't like to get into the nitty gritty of selling singles at all, like we have, just, we have pro traders that tell me I, I basically put seal on the shelf and when somebody tells me it's the right time to sell, I sell it, but I don't have time to sell singles, which is a complete legit position. Um, I think you just hold these. I, I could easily see Commander Legends CBs hitting 400 plus in a year if no significant supply shows up. That's a chunk of change, all right. Because this is all like this. This would have been a crazy set even without Jeweled Lotus. If Jeweled Lotus goes the way of a mono and drives up over a thousand dollars, which could easily happen, there are nine caught like nine listings left on TCG. Collect a collector like my dad. He's on the front lines of COVID. He's not really has doesn't have a lot of time to keep in the loop. He might not have noticed yet. At some point, he's going to forget to talk to me again, and he's going to go buy a six hundred dollar jeweled lotus off TCG player, and that's one less copy gone. You have ten more dads, and you're done. Yeah, I don't I don't doubt it. I mean, I was just looking at uh, I looked it up on Harayuya because I was curious what they sell for. And because I know you're talking about like the buy list, and I just want to you know go see what they had, and they have one English extended art foil at almost nine hundred dollars. Uh, so they're they've staked out where they think this is going, which I mean they did with the buy list too, but like even still, it's just dang. Well, there's a dang. G- give you a little funny side story. We have we had a big couple big singles buys for Commander Legends with the Pro Traders, right? As I alluded to with the, the seven dollar Jessica's Wills, so. Obviously, I, I tend to have first pick on that stuff uh, since I put the deals together. And I snapped off a foil extended art jeweled lotus that I think it was 195 I'll have to go back and double check. 
but I think at the time, lowest price in the U.S. was something like 250 and I think our group buy was at 195 So if you picked up one of those in the group buy, and I think we had maybe, I want to say, it was somewhere between 8 and 20 copies available to the pro traders. Anybody who snapped one of those off paid for their year. But the vendor notoriously didn't ship, I think it was two foil opposition agent foil extended arts and one jeweled lotus. Now, why didn't they, they ship those? Maybe they didn't crack them. Or maybe they thought they could sell them fast in Europe for more than they sold them to me for. And then they were expecting a restock from which they could pull fresh copies and then ship them to me later. Now, they, they cleared this with me and I said, that's fine. But they don't have access to a restock so far as I know. So are these guys going to have to go pick up a $500 copy to fill my order? Or am I going to get a hilarious excuse sometime in the near future? I'm opting for the latter, uh, but good luck. You're going to go with a hilarious excuse? Yes. Yeah. It, at, at $500 type of thing? Yeah. It, it won't exactly. be a pleasant conversation for them if that's the case, but we'll see if it shows up. Um, yeah. I mean, the, I, I could easily have imagined that Lotus would get down to that middle hundreds point, 160, 170. There's no one out there talking about how it's a bad card anymore. Like that, that whole narrative has just faded off the agenda because nobody's fussing about it. And it's just turned into a collector's item. I mean, Japan's yeah. not buying it to play EDH. Japan's buying it because it has, says Lotus on it. Right. I, I mean, I yeah, I remember when we talked about it, we were like, well, this is uh, could be low 200s, could be 700. And like, we just feel rudderless on trying to call it. Um yeah. And as for that guy, as you know, it's an unpleasant conversation. At a twenty dollar card, they'll eat that to be a nice guy. Even at a fifty or sixty dollar card, they'll be like, Yeah, whatever, I'll eat this just to kinda of save relationship. But at six or seven hundred dollars they're gonna be like, mm, maybe I will burn this bridge. <laughs> it's an expensive bridge. It's, it's a big expensive bridge. It's worth a lot more to them than that. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, all right, so wrapping this up, we've got Magus of the Vineyard. This was a pick of yours on cast 245 several weeks back. Uh, your lock decks need the card because it makes extra mana to f- shove down people's throats. Dollar fifty to eight bucks or so. Take that money and run, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, brah. Uh, get what we getting's good. Over on Magic Online, not not much motion according to you. No, I mean, there was like a card at like 50, you know, one card at 50% or something like that, but it seemed quieter over on Moto than it was in paper this week, that's for sure. Ancestral Recall from Vintage Masters, a set that only ever came out on Magic Online, much to many Magic players' chagrin, uh, from 329 to 641. I remember when the Power 9 first came out in VMA, and I made a bunch of money off of it. Uh, arbitraging it on Magic Online and then got stuck holding a full set of the Power 9 <laughs> and watching it drop through the floor. Uh, what are those foil lotuses worth these days? I, I haven't looked it up recently. I'm just utterly overwhelmed with various uh, things to keep on top of. So my Magic Online action has been greatly reduced. Um, but I'm yeah. sure Oko could fill us in. The... Recall's basically doubling in a week, and then counterbalance buck fifty to four bucks. That's probably in the back of the legacy decks I've I've seen. Uh, there's a Snow Oko deck that I think is using counterbalance, if I'm not mistaken. 
Uh, looks like a, I think a foil black lotus is twenty six dollars. Yeah, I, they were in the hundreds of dollars at one point. A first edition for they're buying first edition foil black lotus at three thirty. Are you looking at VMA I, black lotus? Well, so they they have two listings for black lotus on Goat Bots. They have the VMA one and then the one E rare. I presume one E is first edition. I don't know what that's some earlier release that I think predates my action there. VMA was back and, in twenty thirteen. I want to say twenty thirteen twenty fourteen. That one they will sell you for twenty six dollars. Yeah, and I, those were these foil lotuses like yeah hundreds. Yeah, right? hundreds. It was crazy at one point, <laughs> and they just fell like right through the floor. Whoops. Yep. Oh well. So, moving on to paper cards to watch, I have a massive stack because, mm. and it's all on a very simplistic theme. There's no brilliance or creativity here. If you buy the logic behind Commander Legends is hollowing uh, premium cards are hollowing out and you do not fear the, the reappearance of additional inventory, then the time don't is now. Fear the reprint. Yeah. Did you ever realize that don't fear the reprint is like the same beat as don't fear the reaper? That, that super funny guy that's doing all the YouTube videos to music should totally pick that up. Yeah. You should send him, send him the idea. It's a good one. I will. I will do that. Maybe don't feel the reprint. Yeah, he could work with that. Yeah, he can work yeah. with that. I don't remember his name. I'll have to wait until it pops up again. Uh, bottom line, there's so many new and old staples in Commander Legends. It is the most staple-dense Commander set ever printed. It's not close, really. And the inventory is simply not deep, even on the foil extended art commons and uncommons, which, again, are the same thing, basically. The rares and uncommons actually have more staples than the mythics do. Because there's a bunch of jank in the mythics lot. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> because there are so, so many opportunities here. So, here's a list of cards that I put together. Some of which I've been buying pretty constantly for the last week. Just put in a $1,000 order at Haruyuya for a whole bunch of... A mixture of English and Japanese foil extended arts from the set the japanese ones especially i feel very confident in because you know a three dollar foil kadama's reach is a such a no-brainer it's in tens of thousands of edh decks and they will dry up give it six months 12 months 18 months even if there's no speculator pressure regular purchasing will chomp 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 those all up and there's not another set like this on the horizon that we know of for 2021 it's still possible that there's an end-of-year surprise, but and there's always secret layers in the list to consider, but in terms of premium versions, we know what the premium situation is like so far for 2021, and it's mostly going to be about Modern Horizons 2, mm-hmm. which is presumably mm-hmm. going to be you know VIP packs that are probably have other modern reprints that are not actually in the set or something. Yeah, it'll be, that would be, yeah, that would be my guess. Cards that exist in modern already that don't have a cool version and the vips will be a, a, mix, special... a mixture of some of the new new cards and old cards yeah like you know whatever tooth and nail isn't in the set but you can get this real cool looking one in the collector booster yeah uh before we get into this actually little rumor we we tripped over this week was that 
uh, Time Spiral Remastered, which comes out this spring, will not have collector boosters. So Hmm. no premium offshoot. That's just going to be booster boxes, presumably at a mid-tier price point. I'm not sure. I I don't think they're going to be priced the same as standard boxes, given that they have old border foils in them. But we... I wonder if that's to capture the spirit of them, right? Commander boosters sort of not exactly within the same uh, spirit as what you know the, what an old border set is supposed to be about, essentially. Possibly, it's also possible that they just ran out of print time. <laughs> print time is a major commodity in a lot of games right now, so. It's just that's flesh and blood guys, apparently. Yep. All right. So anyway, paper cards to watch. This is all my stuff here is from Commander Legends. Command Beacon. Steep ramp forming. All A bunch of other top foil extended art rares are draining out. This is in 13,000 decks on EDH Rec, which means tens of thousands of people play the card. There is some uh, pollution of that data, I would imagine, because I think Command Beacons showed up in a bunch of the pre-constructed decks, so if people register those, that will pollute the data to some extent. But the bottom line is you can currently get these at about $13. The ramp is steep. They're going to hit 30 So 13 to 28 is my call. That's 115% gains, minus fees and shipping, etc. Yeah, I mean, card is very good, very popular. It's in a humongous amount of decks, right? 13000 I thought it was even more than that. Um, you know, you're, you're at the top here. You talked about how good commander, you know, collectors boosters are. It's kind of been a theme for the show here. Uh, I, I'm right there with you. Our command, our commander legends group by was the one that I participated in the most out of any so far, um, that I was most eager to get my hands around. And I have been on the hunt for this stuff at, at good prices as we go. Um, I, I think it's all essentially gold. I think that there's just way less of it in the market than wizards intended and the supply you see right now is deceiving and it's going to end up with a lot less in the near future so i'm uh, you know kind of on board with pretty much all this stuff here even better is command tower now command beacon was a rare foil extender so there's less of them but it's less played command tower is in two hundred and seventy thousand decks on yeah. edh rec 65 percent of all decks 65 percent and there's definitely a bunch of data pollution there because again it's been in a bunch of the pre-constructed decks but it doesn't matter that once you get anything over ten thousand, you're in good territory it's if you're not basically if you're not a monocolor deck the first land into your deck is command tower because it yeah because it makes the land the mana you need with no restrictions yeah so i mean you basically just look at how, how many commander decks aren't monocolor and that's how many edh decks it it should be in yeah and i mean you can still if you're running a a red commander you can still run this card (laughs) yeah you could i mean i don't know exactly why you'd run this over you might have some weird you might have some weird tweak but the the bottom line is you can get these foil extended arts even though they're supposedly common they're already 20 dollars. they're going to go from 20 to 40 or 50 what's going to stop them all the tons of inventory that's not landing if, if that shows up and these drop to 10, just buy them at 10. <laughs> yeah. Chase it down the curve because, again, it'll just be back to 20 <laughs> to 40 in, in a heartbeat. I may as well run through the rest of these. Blasphemous Act. Oh, no, you say. 
It just got reprinted in Double Masters. They're screwing us. Yeah, but it didn't get a premium printing. It wasn't one of the borderless treatments in the VIP boosters. It's never had another premium treatment. It's showed been printed eight or nine times, but mostly in non-foil. And the foil extended art version is available at $7 or so on TCG Player. Steep ramp. It's going to go 7 to 20 or 25 Blasphemous Act is in... 50,000 EDH decks. 20% of all red decks run it. Single premium version available. Yeah, this card is great. This was a pick of mine a while ago for just the pack foils um, that ended up getting there, I believe. And it was uh, for essentially all the same reasons. So uh, I have, a, I think I have a couple pack foils, one or two left floating around from a, the first time. And I was a little bummed to see it in um commander legends here but uh that doesn't change the fact that this is definitely all these are just so good the 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 pack foil definitely is dead to us because of double masters there was just way too much of that Mm -hmm. but these foil extended arts have zero competition in the pre as the most the best version of the card uh rings of bright hearth foil extended art it's only an eight thousand decks on edh rack so not nearly as impressive but this is the singular premium version of the card you can get them for about 22 They were there. There was copies down in the mid-teens at one point here, but they're already dried up. Um, you can, they're about the same price whether you get them in North America, Japan, or or EU. I think my Haruyuya price today on them was 17.50 or so, so a little, a few bucks less. Um, but again, these are going to go 40 dollars plus. Like, what will stop them? Now that they've reprinted Rings of Bright Hearth, there's nothing else planned for the rest of the year that's likely to reprint it again could show up as an old border foil in times probably remastered but why like how how would that be a priority this is a relatively Mm -hmm. niche card by comparison to something like a blasphemous act oh yeah also a good one another good choice another slice of the pie here all five of the 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 cycle of dual lands that completes the battle bond cycle training center is the one i've got down here but really take your pick they're all necessary in the format Uh, and i noticed that i think the red white one is the cheapest without any super strong reason red white duels are just as necessary in commander as anything else last time i did the color check um you can get these for about $30 $30 or so. I think I was buying Japanese foil training centers today for 25 and that just seems like a complete no-brainer, because these things, from the mid-20s to, like, low-30s, they're going to go to 50 to 60 Like, again, what will stop them? Original Battle Bond pack foils got up into that range, and they weren't foil extended arts from a limited supply set. I uh, I like the training center artwork. That one's kind of goofy. I know you gave me trouble for it, but I like the bubbles. I'm not a huge fan of the art in these, but it's not going to matter. The no. it's in 3,000 EDH rec decks already in the in a few weeks since its release, and that's 40 percent of all possible decks that include blue red. That's that's interesting. That's that's an odd number. I feel like 40 percent of all decks is only 3,000. Seems like there'd be more than that, right? Forty percent of all possible decks that run blue and red. Right, right. I just I would expect there to be. I mean, that implies that there's I don't know what like. If it was three thousand, forty percent was three thousand. That implies what like twenty thousand ish total decks haven't gotten made. Just seems like it'd be more. Maybe not. 
I mean, this did come out pretty recently. Yeah, I mean, this is a very recent release, so the the, the math looks very strong. This is they are the strongest cards in the set <clears throat> in terms of overall play pattern, other than I'm going to say Hull Breacher, maybe. Let me just double check that. People are real angry about that card. They show one fun. Understandably so. Yeah, the land, the lands. The only thing higher than the lands is Hull Breacher and Opposition Agent, which are busted ass magic cards. Yeah. So the the lands are slam dunks in foil extended art. Court of Cunning is the closest thing I've got to an outsider pick here, and only because they're only ten dollars for the foil extended art rare. Compare that to forty five for the same rarity on Jessica's will right now. And Court of Cunning has some outside chance of being a thing in Commander slash Legacy slash Vintage. It's seen a modicum of Legacy play. It's, I think, in six or 700 decks so far on EDH rec, which is a respectable number, but completely outclassed by a lot of this other stuff. And because it does a, a milling thing that is cute, this is one that will probably get there just based on its rarity alone. If it had been printed in, say, Zendikar Rising, it would be probably stilted for 18 months. But because it's in a different set with a supply problem, it will probably get there like the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Sakashima's Protege, and you may as well toss Sakashima's Will on the pile too, because either either or, they're both showing very similar stats. Uh, I think Protege is... I've got several hundred copies i think so far played it's a very protege is a nasty nasty spell it's four and two blue and it copies it's got flash so somebody plays some amazing permanent you flash this in in response and copy that permanent but you also cascade at a six casting cost level That card is very cool, and I love uh, Cascade, so I really like that card. Yeah, it's in f- I want five. To play more of this card. Five percent of all blue decks so far. It's one of those like just open-ended cards where you don't know what it's going to do in the game. You just know it's going to do something cool. Sakashima's protege can do some really ludicrous stuff because it's the Flash Cascade. A cascade at six is pretty high, so you get all sorts of fun stuff there. Um, obviously, the flash lets you monkey with stuff, but entering the battlefield is a copy or permit to enter the battlefield this turn. That's where it gets kind of weird because it's only the enter this turn. But you can, if like if you if they play something that does some cool stuff and bounces a permanent, you can Sakashima's protege get your cascade trigger comes into play, copies there, whatever. Which has some effect and also that also bounces the protege back to your hand, so you can do it again. Uh, it's a very cool card. It does fun, fun, cool stuff. Somebody could be using Hellkite Courser to put their badass commander into play, and then try to attack you, and you could gun it down by blocking with its twin, and cascade for good effect. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a fun card. Protege, you can get these at five bucks right now, please. That's going to be a fifteen to twenty dollar foil extended art in a year, and and that and saying a, like I, I put three to six months on most of these, it's going to be hard to be wrong on a twelve month horizon. If you do better than that, you're just killing it. They only want 
five bucks for the extended art foils on that. They were three fifty in Japan or something when I was looking at them today. Mm, that's very cheap. Yep. Hmm. Now, a little footnote. If you're going to go fishing overseas for foreign copies of some of these cards, do keep in mind how wordy is the card in question. We've talked about this a lot in the past, but how I'm probably the foremost MGG Finance advocate for foil uh, foreign speculation, but there are limits. <laughs> I didn't pick up any Staff of Domination today. Something with five effects on it to memorize? Eh. I don't want to try to sell that into the market. Something that has, like, Eight or nine lines of text? No. That's not where you want to be. Stuff stuff that's easy to remember. And one of the nice things about Commander Legends that led me to buying a couple cases of the German CBs is that so much of this stuff is iconic. Once once you know what the art for training center looks like, it doesn't matter what language it's in. Yeah, Kodama's Reach. No, you're not worried that people are not going to know what that card does. Hull Breacher, um, Opposition Agent, Chroma's Will, Jessica's Will, so Jeweled Lotus. All this stuff is going to be so iconic in the format and easily identifiable that it's not going to really matter. Even things like, if you're going to look at some of the foil etch stuff, say in Japanese, Obeka is, is one that is a lot easier than some of the others because it taps to end the turn. That's it. That's all the text on that card. So... Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I and I have found I have sold a lot of foreign cards myself, um, and I have definitely found that uh, the less wordy, the more the better shape you're in. Just because, as you said, it's it's easier to memorize a card with one line of text than seven. And I'd be fine with something like Apex Devastator that I called last week in a good foreign language, you know, German, Japanese, Russian, Korean. Although, honestly, I haven't seen a Korean card in a million years. Because since they st- since Wizards stopped pushing Chinese, Japanese, Korean, and Russian product through the distribution pipeline in the U.S., that product just doesn't exist. There- there's no cross-border <laughs> traffic in that. I haven't seen any product any of any kind. Haven't touched a Korean card in years that was recently printed. Yeah, I feel like I don't even. I could not tell you the last time have seen or thought about that yep uh you know whereas japanese is the second largest magic market in the world so you know they got japanese vips for instance korea doesn't get that kind of action and you know russian is still the you know for people that are into foreign foils russian is still the dominant uh language of choice but something like apex devastator that just is a 10 10 it says cascade four times Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm comfortable it's... tabling that in German. Someone would just say, how many times does that cascade again? And you'll go four, and that will be the extent of the confusion. See how this thing repeat this this string of characters that I don't understand repeats four times? Yes. That means it repeats four times. Exactly. As opposed to something like an armored sky hunter, a card that people forgot existed as soon as it was printed. Don't go, oh, those foil extended arts are only two bucks. I'm going to grab a bunch of those in Italian. Nah. Skip that. Yeah. Okay. Um, Your picks. I have to do them all in a row now. Yep. <clears throat> all right. We're going to try and get through all of them in 20 seconds. Are you ready? Okay. Uh, the first one is Authority of the Consoles. Consoles. Um, on the 6 to 12 month timeline, the foils like out of calendar. What? Like Xbox? Consoles? I don't get it. Consoles? Consoles. 
consoles. Consoles. I mean, it's it's basically pronounced the same thing: console versus console. <laughs> Depending on what part it's, of the U.S. you're from. On my mic, it might not be getting picked up quite well enough on uh, the microphone here. Um, consoles. It's still pretty close pronunciation. I want to hear Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth pronounce it. Yeah. The Kaladesh foils are around 550 right now. Um, it is in 14,500 EDH truck decks, so quite popular. It is, it's got uh, about 23 vendors. Nobody's got more than a couple. There is the pre-release foil out there, um, which has a hand, you know, seven copies of various prices. They start at like seven bucks. Uh, there's like four of this other promo pack that starts at $8. So supply is pretty low across the board, um, but you can get the pack foils around 550. Blind Obedience is a $15 pack foil right now, which is a very similar card. Um, that's something I put on everyone's radar a while ago, a while, a while, a while ago. Uh, Authority of the Consoles is even easier. Well, actually, I don't know. Is it easier to play? Can you play Blind Obedience in a mono white deck or a deck without black? I think you can, right? I'm not 100% sure on that, to be honest. I, I don't remember if you can or not. I think you can play this in white decks without black. In any case, uh, Authority is playable in at least as many decks. Most of the place you play or Blind Obedience, you would probably also play Authority. Um, I think you can scoop these up now and just kind of hang out and then flip them for between 10 and 15 in the later half of this year would be my guess. I feel like when we called this last time, it took a long time to, to hollow out. But if it, it, it's also very low priority reprint. Yeah. Blind, blind Obedience did take longer to move than I anticipated, but it also did hit 15. So it's there now. Um, and I think I sold one at 14 and change not that long ago. I think authority is probably on the way there too. Yep. It seems totally, yeah, so, totally reasonable to me. It's a, yeah. It, I mean, like I'm not rushing out to buy these, but if I'm placing an order, I'm looking these up to see if they have any kicking around for me. And it's an e easy to be off people's radar card when all the hype is around commander legends and Calatime and so forth. These four year ago cards that have just slowly hollowed out over time tend to not show up on the fast movers list week to week because they've you know gone up four cents a month or something for the duration yeah and those are definitely what i've been drawn to talking about on the cast more often because it's very easy to look at you know the, the commander legend foil you know extended art foils and, you know, the next card I'm going to talk about is one of those. Uh, and those are cards I keep an eye on, too. But that stuff is very front and present. And it's easy to see those and easy to talk about those. I, I sound like I'm giving you a hard time. I'm not. I'm just trying to um, make sure I'm looking in different directions as well. Because these are the types of things that it's so easy to just ignore and forget about. And it's not on your radar. And why would it be? Um, and then the next time you go to buy one for a deck... A year and a half later, when you build that color, you're like, wait, this card is how much? Yep. Like, why is Foil Authority $15? It was three bucks, I thought. Oh, no. Well, the last time you looked was two years ago. That's why. All true. So, okay. Next. That's Authority. Second is in uh, the line of cards you were talking about here, which is Arcane Denial. Um, the commander 
Legends Extended Art Foils uh, at five bucks. Now, this is a common, so it's more common, but uh, Arcane Denial is in 43,000 EDH rock decks. I think it's like a top five or top 10 blue card in the format. Pretty popular. Uh, it is the best art and the best foil you can get. I think it had uh, like an M25 foil printing, but it was not as good. Um, just it wasn't as cool looking. So no one's going to want that one as much. Uh, this just looks really good in the extended art. It's an ultra popular card. The extended art foils are five bucks. Um, the supply, you've got 33 vendors right now. Again, nobody is very deep on them. Um, and if you look at other commons, if you sort TCG player by best selling uh, and you look at the commons, it's got a good bit uh, less supply than other commons of a roughly similar popularity. So it seems like it is um, seeing some pressure in a way that other commons might not be. Um, not a massive change, but definitely seems to be a pattern that this is uh, less out there than the others. So $5 for the extended art foils. I think you'll flip them for between, again, 10 and 15, uh, probably the later half of this year. And, and I, wouldn't be, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see, for instance, CK buy list start to get real aggressive on this stuff in the not too distant future, just because mm -hmm. there just won't be a source for any of it. Yeah, I, I actually didn't think, did I, I don't think I checked ck for this card specifically did you look i'm looking it up right now to see what they're already offering it is doo, doo, doo. they are not offering on the foil at present Tip, okay. typically that signals to me that they got some elsewhere mm -hmm. like they got you know ck is big big operation they have if anybody is sitting on cases of commander legends looking to sell, to sell them down the road it can easily be somebody like a ck so or they can source them overseas they have access to singles from abroad so they, they may have picked up 100 copies of this and they just don't need them on the buy list because they're waiting to sell those through yeah and regardless i think that grabbing these around five bucks or less i think the cheapest copy is actually 450 uh sets you up pretty good down the road um i'm gonna wrap up with an odd pick here uh this is not a hard and fast one, but I, I wanted to put it on your radar. It really caught my attention, and I'm, I see what you guys think as well. But Angel of Destiny out of Zendikar Rising, I, I don't know if I missed this or what, but this is a 5 mana 2-6. Um, it's a flying double strike, Angel, mana white. Uh, whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player you and that player gain that much life. So if I attack you with a creature uh, and it hits you, you take no damage, essentially. Like you take the damage, but then you gain that much life. So your net, your life total change is neutral and I gained life by attacking with it, um, which means it's gonna be easier for people to let your creatures get by and deal damage. So if you have like Aphidian type effects or something like that, and I'm like, well, I, you know, I could get in the battle with this, I might lose my creature, it's easier for me to just let this go. 
uh, because my life total doesn't change and it's okay if Travis picks up a couple extra cards or some extra life. But the interesting thing here is at the beginning of your end step, if you have at least 15 life total more than your starting life total, so if you're playing EDH, if you have 55 life or more, uh, not hard in that format, each player Angel of Destiny attacked this turn loses the game. So if you're playing a life gain deck, like you can just easily have over 55 life. I mean, if you ever played, I don't know, like an Aloro deck or something like that, you know, they end up in the hundreds or two hundreds pretty easily. You just attack people with Angel of Destiny and they lose. They just lose. And if you've got some uh, shenanigans with multiple attack phases, multiple people just lose the game. So they have to answer it real quick. I mean, a red-white deck uh, could actually kill the entire table in one turn by having two extra combat phases and uh, and giving this haste, which, by the way, I have done before, not with Angel of Destiny, but I definitely have killed people. I had a Urz, uh, Sarah's Avatar, the one where your power is your life total, and I had more life than everyone, and I attacked somebody, killed them. I sneak attacked it, killed them, got like another attack phase, sneak attacked it, killed that guy, and then played it again and flung it with Brian Stoutarm at the third guy to kill him. So uh, it's not that hard to get a couple of attacks in at once. In any case, I think the card is interesting um, and will probably end up being quite popular down the road. The EDH numbers on this are spectacular. It's like 1,300 or 1,400 decks, which is not that much. Um, and the supply is a little deeper on these borderless foils too, uh, upwards of 70 vendors. So there's still a good amount out there and it doesn't seem like it's been picked up that fast, but the ability seems very good. And if I'm reading this correctly, if, if you go to TCG player and you look at Zendikar Rising Mythics and you sort by best selling, Angel of Destiny appears to be the second card on the list. So it's pretty popular, uh, if I'm understanding that correctly, with uh, the first card being Amaria's Call. So all that said, you're buying extend the extended art foils on this for about $650. I think that's like a $20 to $25 foil, probably not this year, probably next year. But I do think it's an interesting card and worth keeping on your radar, even if you're not buying it today. Um, this is, a, I think, one of those very quiet cards that could end up quite pricey if you're not looking for it. I agree that this is a slow burn card. I, I put the, uh, the given the set it's from, the highest produced, highest print run of any CB uh, to date, Zendikar Rising, and how much EV is drained out of those boxes by the Expeditions. It's going to be suppressed for a long while because this is a card that you have to read a couple of times to parse where you're supposed to be playing it. I for sure run this in Aloro. Like, this is just a no-brainer. And this is real cute. You increase the life of the entire table and they all die. <laughs> Super cute. The inventory is a little too deep for my liking compared to all the Commander Legends stuff. Like, you're talking about 74 results for a foil mythic extended art compared to Jessica's Will being down to 8 copies from a newer set as a foil rare extended art. So you can see quite clearly the massive gap between these two products in terms of how much inventory is actually in the market. And the other risk with Syndicar Rising is there's even more inventory left out there that hasn't been cracked yet. And it's entirely possible we're going to see $170 boxes of that stuff in the not-too-distant future as vendors and distributors start to unload it. 
the you know you've got gaming company with 19 copies at 688 i think picking up your own personal copy under seven dollars is super fine because if you play it for a few years and then retire that deck you'll probably find that this is in fact a 15 or 20 dollar uh foil mythic extended art by that point if it was a rare i'd be steering completely clear as a mythic <laughs> it's got you know <laughs> eventually they will dry up and again as a rare you wouldn't have let me pick it <laughs> yeah and this is the kind of card where easily 10 years could go by and this could be the only premium version ever printed yeah i i agree it's it's not as as hot uh as especially as like the commander legend stuff and what have you so it's it's far from the highest priority here um and th this is more on feel right this is just me looking at this and going mm, it's an interesting card it's, it's probably an under it's probably an underrated card in terms of power level yeah now don't get me wrong there are lots of underrated cards that just don't see that much play i mean they're underrated that's what underrated means uh and their price behaves accordingly and i get annoyed about it every time i see them but i stay away from them because just not enough people are playing it is this one of those situations i don't know maybe it will be maybe it won't be but it is definitely on my radar at the moment it just is an interesting card so the pro trader uh, selection cards to watch this week is a bit of a left turn from all of this stuff user mastodon calls out grim's Mo grim monolith not grim's grim monolith uh which was originally urza's destiny or uh, legacy urza's legacy legacy the only this card's on the reserve list it's been pushing 250 to 300 it is legal in commander and useful there are only two alternate printings. They are both from World Championship decks. For those of you that are relatively new to Magic, way back in the day, they used to take the most interesting four decks, I think it was, from the World Championships and print them as a limited edition gold border deck. And I think this went on for, I don't know, four or five years or something like that. And... They're pretty cool collectibles because you get a slice of what standard looked like way back in the day. Um, and some of them are terrible and some of them are real busted. The Grim Monolith comes in two different decks. One is a John Finkel and one is a Kai Bude. And I think both of them have their gold signatures on them. They didn't actually sign them, but they were like printed uh, with a part of the printing process was including their signature on the on the cards. You can currently find a relatively limited supply of these in the $25 to $30 range, and Mastodon calls these out to possibly push up to $50 within the year on the back of the reserve list version being almost 10 times more expensive. Hmm. I mean, these are interesting. We don't really talk about these too much, and I can't say that I've ever sold any of these, but at the same time, I don't think I've really tried to sell anything like this before. I think I've sat on all of my gold border cards. Uh, in fact, are they... Can you find them on TCG Player? Are they listed? They are. They are? I think I've looked They, they are not officially tournament or commander legal, but in terms of a proxy your playgroup will allow this is probably going to cut the mustard most of the time. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially an official proxy. Like, that's, that's what it is. And, and the most interesting version of any of these is probably the Gaia's Cradle. Like, that's the, yeah. the biggest ticket item you can get in this form. And those used to be near to worthless. They were 
30 or 40 bucks at one point. Now there are six results left on TCG Player. <laughs> That's near to worthless. <laughs> well, compared to 142.75 being the lowest price currently on TCG Player, ranging up to 230. And that 230 is Tales of Adventure, uh, and he's no fool. <laughs> so yeah. So I think I have some of those. <laughs> it's not crazy for folks to be looking at the next four or five gold border cards that are reserve list impacted as you know these are just going to be very popular proxy cards and you're you know the part the portion of the market that's going to even think of these very very low could be one percent of the market it's not going to matter if there's only six copies listed on tcg and you're one of them yeah i i think that the time in the sun for these has yet to come, most likely. Not just for these Grimodalists, but all the gold cards. I mean, that might sound crazy to say, but uh, you know, if you're only playing an EDH, there's probably a, a couple of these that are, are good buys. And Grim Monolith at a tenth of the cost of what the official one costs, I think is probably a good choice here. There's Survival of the Fittest, uh, Yogmoth's Will, Academy Rector. Uh, oh man, also, what's the Academy Rector worth? Uh, currently 1550 market, 13 listings left. Ooh, that sounds like it might be right. Because what's that? What, what is that? Is that like 90 bucks now for the reserve list copy? Something like that. Yeah. So there's some 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 spice there, I think for sure. But actually, market's fit or market is 15, but there's only four listings. They start at 25. 25 to 30 is your options. You can you basically buy 10 copies on TCG, and the Academy Rector Gold Borders don't exist anymore. You probably buy 10 copies of just about any of these, and they don't exist anymore. Sure, but only four or five of them are reserve list impacted. 75 uh, for the normal Rector. There's a City of Traders. And you can also get just get some cute EDH stuff like Land Tax, Gold Bordered, Chrome Mox, Vampiric Tutor, Necropotence, Ancient Tomb. I'm pro- yeah, I'm probably staying away from the non-reserve list stuff because it'll all eventually show up in some product EMA or IMA or UMA or ZMA or whatever. But the reserve list stuff, you know, that's where it gets more interesting, I think. I could even see the champ- World Championship blank cards being a $10 item, give them another five years. Mm-hmm. Those are fascinating. These, these decks came with basically blank gold-bordered magic cards that you, mm-hmm. so that if you wanted to change the decks, you could mix in gold-bordered cards. Because one of the interesting points here is this is one of the only magic products to ever have a different back. You have to sleeve, yeah. you have to sleeve these because they have actually a very stately looking black and gold back mm-hmm. which kicks it, it honestly kicks the shit out of their actual magic back which i think is one of the most embarrassing <laughs> and tragic parts of this game is that we're stuck with this magic this back of our, our cards i mean i don't i don't even think we're stuck with it right once we went to innistrad and they printed flip cards i don't feel like we moved past the need to keep that same magic back they, but whatever they, they seem committed to maintaining that consistency i fully agree that we don't need it anymore i think that there's zero wrong with just saying to play magic the gathering you will want to have some sleeves and yeah, and, I, and, and start provide because in pokemon intro products they provide sleeves yeah it's i guess their their take is probably that um 
kitchen table players can't play with different backed cards, there's still a huge number of people who buy product. Oh, I hear that. But those people, say those people are going to Walmart and buying a $20 off-the-shelf product. My argument is just you sell those people's sleeves as part of that product. I mean, I, I, as I think, as we talk about this, I'm imagining wizards thinking about it and going, yeah, but like a bunch of those people will go, oh, I don't want to have to use sleeves. Oh, yeah, whatever. They give you the first one for free. But like, think about all the magic cards I owe and I have to sleep all those to play with them. I'm not bothering with that shit and just getting annoyed about it and then not bothering to buy new cards because they don't want to deal with the new back. And the, the, the 40 sleeves you gave them for free isn't going to cut it when they've got who knows how many hundreds or thousands of cards well, at home I mean, they if, if they have thousands of cards they're well they, they have to be able to connect the dots and realize that you only have to sleeve what they're currently playing yeah, i don't know man there's some weird people out there true <laughs> make some very curious it, it, it's, choices. Not, it's not a perfect solution but i i actually think there's a lot to be gained by exploring alternate backs to magic cards it, yeah. it, give me secret layer better back same card on the front mm. way cooler backs is true G- give me and then and, they and, could and by that same token give me secret layer world championship decks let's go past four cards give me a give me a four like a 89.99 product that's an actual deck from this year that was like well regarded as a cool deck with it with an old back again what if they did a alternate back and then one of the cards was like ghost baby and then you could say baby got back <laughs> terrible I'll, I'll tell you i would i would totally if we were not in covid i would be in our you know face-to-face announced that they were going to do a world championship decks league where you could they were widely available and you could buy any deck they, they had published in that series and bring it to your fnm i'd play that league it's like all-time standard greats Wait, if it was what? Say that again? They bring back the World Championship decks. They start printing them every three months or something. A new crop of four decks. And they build up to the point where you've got like dozens of them as options. And then it just becomes a, a popular FNM format. Hmm. Busted ass standard yeah. decks. Yeah. It, yeah. There's totally room in Magic for this shit because EDH is the primary format. So... All your card backs matching based on floor rules does not matter. <laughs> and especially during the era of COVID, boy, does it not matter. Yeah, it does seem like there's room for them to explore alternative concepts here mm-hmm. that they haven't really gotten into. Even if they're not like standard legal, if it's additional product, whatever. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah, okay. they're monolith gold i think it's totally reasonable especially if you just want one for your own edh deck and you don't want to pay 300 for it yeah this is this is the well, the socially acceptable proxy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is uh i don't know if you caught this there's been a bit of a resurgence for that on yeah there was proxy debate on on twitter all week yeah i didn't catch all of it i just know that people were talking about it it was basically like some I, people uh... posting like normalize proxying cards and then yeah. the, the usual personalities piping up with, sure, but be ready for the like me to pay zero for your cards because you're going to make cards worthless. 
if you go far right. enough down that trail. Now, the truth is somewhere in the middle. What it, One of the conversations I got looped into was the conclusion that was reached was more along the lines of there actually is room for wizards to make some of these staples that they use to sell sets, like enemy fetches, cheaper and cheaper so they are readily accessible. My counter to that is, yes, you can totally do that. That's fine. And no skin off my nose. But you can also just do what they have been doing, which is print alternate templates to similar cards. They didn't give us they didn't worry about reprinting Black Lotus and causing havoc. They just printed Jeweled Lotus and it's gonna be a thousand dollar card. <laughs> so they're totally on point. They're doing fine. They didn't reprint revised duels, they gave you the Battle Bond duels, and they are essentially the exact same card from a commander perspective. They can do this all day. They, they didn't give you Wheel of Fortune. They gave you Wheel of Misfortune in Commander Legends. And that card fulfills much the same rule as well. They've given mm-hmm. you a million variations of Ancestral Recall, Time Walk, Time Twister, etc. And yes, they tend to cost more mana or whatever, but that's because they're fixed. <laughs> the original cards are broken in the context of the game. And trust me, you don't actually want to play against them as much as they would be fun to cast. I remember I wrote an article about this a long time ago. Back, I mean, all of my articles were a long time ago now. Uh, and I kind of said, like, you know, there's nothing necessarily wrong with playing with proxies. Like, the difference, my, my, my point when I wrote it was, like, well, what is the difference between a proxy and a counterfeit? And the difference is intent, essentially. Um, you know, with a, with a proxy, you are upfront and honest about what it is. You're not trying to fool anyone. It's just there because you don't have the real one on hand and you need something to play with it and it, it's fine. Whereas a counterfeit is, is essentially the same thing, but you're trying to convince other people that it is a real magic card. Um, so there's a difference there. But the end result, you know, from the, from the store owner's perspective, from that guy whose shop you play in two to three times a week, who runs your F&Ms, who's trying to keep the lights on, who's on way worse margins today than he was several years ago when I wrote that article, uh, has a, you know, at the time I used a guy's cradle as an example, but it was a lot cheaper, a lot cheaper then than it is now, has, I don't know, a cyclonic rift in his case, that he wants to sell. And if you're proxying your cyclonic rift, that's a card he didn't sell. Um, and, and so from his perspective, if you're using proxies or counterfeits, it doesn't really make a difference. You're playing with things that aren't real cards, which means he's not selling his real cards, which is rough for him. Uh, so I definitely don't begrudge anyone using proxies at all. I mean, I have... I couldn't find a Reaper King at one point, so I printed out the QR code to take me to the pay, like the Scryfall or this, yeah, the Scryfall page for Reaper King, and just stuck that in a sleeve. So if you wanted to see the card, you would just scan the QR code, and it would pop up to the page. Um, I've got no problem with homemade proxies for that kind of purpose. Yeah. Now, somewhere on the spectrum is the commander culture shifts to the point where people only play with proxies and yay, we're free. That's yeah. A, that's never going to happen. B, because people forget that collectors volunteer to get wrecked on the cost of participating in their hobbies. You've always 
for the entire time that magic has existed, photocopiers have also existed, and you've been able to print magic cards for free on paper. But nobody does that Mm -hmm. because there is value to the experience. Now, many people falsely attribute that value to having the official product. That actually doesn't matter. A, A really good Chinese fake does in fact undercut the value of a real card because it provides the same experience and that's where the danger point is i I could care less if you print it out in paper i could care less if you scrawl it on a gold bordered blank card i could care less if you print the qr code none of that matters it in the thing with this this cyclonic rift example is if somebody feels the need to proxy a ten dollar card it's because they were never going to spend the ten dollars like if you're just if you're having trouble making ends meet, but you're stuck at home during COVID and you just want to play some magic, you're gonna print whatever you gotta print to play the game. And Wizards was never going to capture that revenue anyway, because it doesn't exist. Now, if you saw whales steering away from premium product in favor of readily available proxies, and then porting those showing up at at F and M's post COVID to put their fake deck against a $3,000 legacy deck, you you are going to have problems. And But the most insidious part of the, that whole sub-segment of, of the niche is really the people that buy them from China at a dollar a piece and then try to trade them into stores to get free money. Because that pollutes the trust in the inventory, and we are edging ever closer to that being a real problem. Yeah, I mean, though that's a, a whole other. I mean, that, that's clearly a major problem. Uh, could be a major problem in a whole other stripe of topic. So, I mean, that that that's a bit different. Um, it, the reality is, it, it's it's enough hassle to proxy things, and there's a risk of social embarrassment to buying proxies on eBay and so forth that most people will not do it. Most enfranchised players will not do it. Just like we've had access to fakes for years out of China and none of us buy them. Doesn't mean doesn't mean no one buys them. It just means the the vast majority of players do not buy them. And so they are in limited circulation, polluting the inventory pool. But I handle geez, I don't know, ten thousand, fifteen thousand cards a year, and I have never noticed a fake. Does that mean I've never had a fake? Probably not means that I don't loop every card that comes across my desk, but mm-hmm. a lot of my product also comes straight out of sealed product, so it's not really a factor for me the way it would be for a, a store in a major urban center. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the, yes, I agree. The, the counterfeit stuff is is sort of secondary, um, a, a separate, partly related issue, and I agree that there's challenges there. It's the uh, it's essentially the the homebrew counterfeit, which is the proxy that causes the problem. And I, you know, I, I I think your point about you were never going to sell that if someone's proxying ten dollar cards like that, you were never going to sell the card to that guy in the first place. Like that's true at a at a lower bound. The guy proxying five dollar cards isn't going to buy any of these things. But there is definitely that's not true across the whole spectrum, and I think most people probably aren't trying this proxy those cards or talking about proxying 
the definitely the more expensive stuff i would like say probably stuff that starts in the 40 to 50 dollar range especially key cards but it's also i still it's all well i just still i still remember the guy at fnm who was playing with artist proof sort of worn pieces when they were 50 bucks um and he didn't care and he didn't think anyone else did but i was mildly annoyed because i only had two sort of worn pieces in my deck because i only owned two and he had a play set because he was playing with artist proof so i was like well this isn't really fair there's also a subtle refocusing in the product formulation from wizards that invalidates the strategy of printing um a lot of the stuff that tends to get generated in china as magic fakes so for instance if they're going after fetch lands and duels but wizards keeps providing alternatives to duels so they're not that important you're not going to feel if you can get a training center for ten dollars you're not going to feel as much pressure to get a volcanic island for 500 and if they keep printing enemy fetches until they're relatively cheap as they're, they're doing it three times this year it makes the odds that people are going to go chasing $140 Misty Rainforests from China for a dollar a lot less likely. True. And True. And the other thing is that a lot of this, the money that we're talking about might impact your local LGS in terms of whether you buy a guy's cradle from them or get a gold border version. But it doesn't really impact primary revenue for wizards because that's product from 25 years ago. They don't care about that. Mm-hmm. So as, as long as they, as long as, and, and the thing about standard rotating is that it fends off some of the, the problem as well, because for the Chinese guys to perfect printing, you know, name a mythic that was good and standard and then played nowhere else, they, they have a very narrow window of opportunity to make that worthwhile. I'm actually interested to see whether uh, fakes are going to show up for flesh and blood. Because the original boxes are four grand or whatever. There are cards that are $8,000. And there's much less, um, a much narrower body of knowledge to defend against fakes. And it's not, doesn't seem like a super complicated set to handle in that way. I mean, it looks like junk, so. <laughs> <laughs> to, to my eye it's not that it's junk it's generic it's it doesn't have unique ip it's just a, a mishmash because the, the thing is that the heroes are all different archetypes so you have the brute the warrior the ninja the mechanologist which is steampunk and you're basically just it's like it's like they took the central trope from every major magic plane <laughs> and then they just gave them each a deck but they don't do any of the world building up on top of the core trope they just present the trope it's not like it's a super unique kind of ninja you've never seen before it's the literal most generic looking ninja and samurai you've ever seen yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it looks boring and generic. Yep, and, I agree with that. And, and honestly, on poorly done, like you can look back at the origin of Magic and be like, well, Magic wasn't any better. And like, it doesn't even matter if that's true. That was 28 years ago. Like you're making a game in 2020. Uh, the bar is raised. Like you have to start your product better than Magic started 30 years ago. You've got a lot more to build on, a lot more lessons available to you to have learned. Um, so 
It, it's funny because I, I remember... I'm not caught in many slack. I was really excited about the Final Fantasy TCG because Tactics is probably my top game of all time. And the Tactics art, <clears throat> the cards that had Tactics art on it, those are beloved by me. But the thing that they did with that game was they were running out of characters and ideas. Well, it's not that that. It's, it's more that there are a bunch of different games in the Final Fantasy library, and they needed to appeal to all of the fans. And so the cards are all using different art styles from the various games. Ooh. So everything from like mid-90s CG to the classic Amano art. Mm-hmm. There's no comparison between those two things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. your collection of Final Fantasy cards is a real mishmash. And because I'm not like, I don't really play that game. I, I, I looked at the cards one day and I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to like, just keep the ones, the tactics ones. That's really the only ones I care about. I'll just put those in a binder and put the rest of them back in a box somewhere. Because then you have a very unified aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of those other ones you get with these garbage is where they start mixing art styles. Oh, that's the worst. Uh, and I think Star Wars, I think, probably did a little bit of that too, where they had, if the character was in a movie, they used that artwork. But if they weren't, didn't they use like comic books or something like that? Well, and that's, what, uh, and that's why The Walking Dead, that's another one of the issues with The Walking Dead and other hyper-real versions where i was saying you know like give me daryl as a magic like a a ranger on dominaria don't give me daryl as you recognize him from the show and it would have been god those cards were and it would have been a much cooler collectible so dumb all right so 2021 goals i know you're a busy dad that doesn't have as much time to think about magic as you as you once did do you have uh, is there anything you think you would like to do differently this year in terms of managing your inventory and so forth uh would like to do or am setting a goal to do because those are two different questions there's a lot of things i'd like to do differently so let's say you have you had a pocket (laughs) dimension (laughs) with extra hours that doesn't make you any more tired yeah it's it's definitely inventory management to begin with because my inventory management is pretty poor um just keeping my desk clean is obnoxious uh so i would like to be better about that um, that would probably be my number one magic-related goal. And I don't know if it would necessarily make me more money. Uh, I don't think I really leave anything on the table being kind of disorganized, but it would definitely uh, make things look a little neater. It helps that you get a once-a-week minimum reminder of things that are popping because you have to do research for the show. But if yeah. you were you but didn't have a podcast, then you probably Ooh. would miss opportunities. If I was me and wasn't on the podcast, I would probably stop buying magic cards. I think is likely what would happen. Um, I would realize that I was just not, you know, I there'd be a, I expect what would happen is I would step away for like a period of weeks or a month or two, and then come like come back to it at some point because of something. And be like, wow, I have no clue what's going on. I have to stop trying to dabble in this because if I'm not paying attention, this isn't going to work. So I think that's likely what would happen. The, the most, or I would go, or I would go to like five percent of what I do right now. The most common reason for leaving Pro Trader, a rare but not not impossible event, is people come to me and say, "You know what? I just realized I haven't logged in in four months because I'm not really paying attention to magic." Yeah, 
It's like it's it's more about it's not that pro traders not doing work for them. It's that they're just not interested in the hobby in general anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they get they get yeah. deep into a video game or they're playing some other game or it's code and they've just decided to take a break until things get back to normal because it was really the social aspect that was most important for them. And then you tend to have other people that are going the other direction, right? There's been a lot of people this year entering into the pro trader program. I think overall. Uh, high double digit growth because they're bored (laughs) maybe they need Mm -hmm. some extra money maybe they're they got a big collection they're sitting on that they used to go to shows and try to vend or uh or trade or you know they had play groups they were unloading stuff to and they can't do any of those things so they got to up their online game i mean if you want to look at the difference between survivors and lgs's that got knocked out of off off the map this year it's going to be a lot to do with how strong their online game was were they selling on amazon ebay tcg player social facebook twitter instagram did they have a youtube channel did they have a, a strong mailing list etc well it's um it's it's kind of interesting uh oh shoot i had a, a thought ready and lost it so i guess it wasn't that interesting <laughs> Uh, what's, I mean, what, what is your goal for this year? I'm trying to tighten, tighten up. I I would like to, I have a tendency to shotgun approach where it's, there's a very stream of consciousness thing going on with me targeting spec after spec after spec. And it tends to work fine. They, They tend to all be pretty good picks. We saw that my you know, our, our average returns just for Tuesday night selections was, for me, was in the mid-40s or something, in less than a year on average. And my personal returns that I tallied for the for 2020 were something like 96% or something, and I haven't even annualized that yet. So it works, but there is a time crunch problem where between my real job and running MTG Price interacting with pro traders, managing all of our group buys, and then my own side business selling magic and other collectibles, plus being a dad and a significant other. So I need to, I would like to go deeper on sure bets to reduce the the number of different specs in this back box. I, I would like to go deeper when I'm on the right, on when I'm right. Like, or that's, de- that's a, that, that's a very, uh, I, I get what you're saying, but it's kind of funny. Cause it's like, that's a very hindsight type of statement. Well, like for instance, when I bought a ton of fiery emancipation, like I have 120 regular copies or something, big old brick. I was very confident in the card. Like when we talked about it on the cast, I stand by my original statement, which is like, this is basically like Nick's bloom agent for red. It just triples stuff. It's super easy to understand. Super Timmy card. It's going to sell well forever. Probably won't catch a reprint for several years. You, if you, you know, if you're a pro trader and you're real, real busy, you could just pick out something like that once every few months, go real deep on it and just be in a great position. Cause you're just going to, you're not going to get to, if you buy 600 copies, you're not going to get to buy list them all at once. Cause even some place like CK might only take, I think the most they ever take of anything is like 200 copies. If it's a real, real hot one, Whew. but you will over time and to multiple vendors <laughs> mm-hmm. and you don't need like 
especially one of the things that I think is hardest for people that come into the ProTrader Discord is it's real busy in there. Like we're constantly talking in a lot of channels simultaneously. So there's no shortage of opportunity, but you have to be able, you have to put your personal filters over top of that and parse what's going to work best for you. So for instance, we did our third wave today of Commander Legends German because we can still get them at about 210, 215 a box. Meanwhile, you got English boxes at 270, but, and a lot of the bulk that comes out of that is going to be useless. You won't be able to sell it anywhere. And the more obscure cards, you're not going to want to table in your friendly commander games because no one's going to know what the text is. But the high end on the set is so high that if you're going to get a 5 or 10 or 25% premium on something like a Jeweled Lotus or a Vampiric Tutor or a Mana Drain or something, you're probably going to work out just fine. Uh, given that you're getting a 25% discount off market. But that doesn't mean that it's right for everybody. You know, if your goal is that you want to get English cards to play with your playgroup that only plays with English cards, then you should not go in on that group buy. If you have zero experience selling foreign cards, or for instance, if you, like you, primarily sell on TCG Player, where many people report to me that they have trouble selling foreign cards, versus me, who primarily sells on eBay, where foreign cards move briskly because they are keyword-driven as opposed to buried in a menu, um, it just works out better. You might also speak the language in question. <laughs> you know, in a, in a major city like Toronto, people tend to be from all over the place, so you might speak Russian or Japanese or... What are you trying to say about Buffalo? That's all white people <laughs> with a smattering of black. That's not true. We actually have a fairly uh, robust community of color. They just happen to be the most segregated in the U.S. Sure. So, I mean, Toronto is the most multicultural metropolis on the planet or something. So everything seems simple. Like, I I grew up in Alberta and B.C. when I was in junior high and high school. And in my high school, we had three black people and they were all related. So (laughs) coming from the Texas of Canada to toronto was an eye-opener and, and for the benefit like for the for the good of anyone right who's put in that situation right. to be honest i think you need that exposure to avoid ignorance but that's a whole another topic yeah it's like a empirical study the more you're exposed to that stuff the more friendly you are to people of other cultures you're only, um, you're only scared of what you haven't seen to be completely regular and normal yeah yeah uh yeah i mean i suppose it's something that I've I've thought about in the past that I'm, I'm is coming to my forefront now as we're talking. Um, well, so so first of all, I think I think what you're talking about makes sense. To, and you know, we 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 do try to to diversify um, because like you can buy 150 fire emancipations if you had bought 600 instead at the cost of not getting a couple other cards. And then wizards just just threw a reprint out there that you weren't expecting and was out of you know out of left field that might hurt a lot. Whereas you know that if you own a quarter as many and you spent that money elsewhere, then obviously you're more protected against that stuff. But at the same time, um, you know the benefit of having all one card just reduces your mental load and trying to keep track of all that crap. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense, and I, I'm probably closer to that than you are uh, by virtue of just doing less. Uh, but at the same time, I think where the direction I need to go is I think I have to trust myself, my knowledge, my experience in the market more than I do. I'm still probably a little too timid on most of my spends. And realistically, and I, I slowed way down when we bought our house, 
because as most people who bought a house can tell you, it like cleans out your bank account. Because essentially, when you put a down payment down on a house, you really should put down as as much as you can. Um, So you go real shoestring there. Um, But you know, that doesn't last forever. And unless, I mean, if you're doubling up on your mortgage, but whatever. So I don't need to do that anymore. And I probably should be upping my spending to to match what I have available because I know that I tend to be profitable with it and it's, it's good for me. I just kind of haven't gotten back into that swing of things. But again, because that requires more time, more effort, the more money I'm spending, the more confident I need to be in what I'm doing, which is again, back to the whole more time thing. I also need to, I have a 30 or 40 grand worth of toy inventory that I just need to exit from at whatever price because it's revenue generating at conventions, <laughs> but I'm well willing to bet that none of the major conventions we would normally attend are going to exist in 2021 that also did not exist in 2020. So it's just taking up a tremendous amount of space at our place that might as well just be... 10 times less space and then it can be magic inventory mm-hmm. and that will further that's p- further example of streamlining my operation i don't need to be doing that and it would then free up three or four weekends a year including a like it'd be it means the end of august the last weekend of august which is usually six days or something of fan expo here in toronto which is our equivalent of san diego comic-con i can just have back <laughs> forever yeah, those weekends are a huge chunk of time. You got to make a lot of money on those weekends to make the effort worth it. It often it was pre-COVID because one of the things that would happen was be like Hasbro would have their San Diego Comic Con Echo booth where they're unloading all the inventory they didn't sell in San Diego. Which is also odd because I thought those sold out, but some so, some do, but they almost always reserve some for a few other big conventions worldwide. Uh, and Fan Expo was one of them. So they would show up with a bunch of that, and if you were a vendor on the floor bright and early Thursday before they let regular folks in, you could send one of your staff to get in line and get hooked up with a bunch of money makers. But is the ROI on all of that better than Magic, especially if I have to ship it to places instead of selling it on a convention floor? Definitely not. Because shipping is a real killer when you're shipping. You know, I've got transformers that are a cubic meter in a box. Big difference in shipping expenses versus the two foil extended art Jessica's Wills I sent today, plain white envelope for $60 profit. Yeah, I I have, uh, that makes sense, getting out of some of those accessory uh, related products because they just, you know, where they were valuable and useful to you before you've gone big enough in one vertical that the additional ones aren't necessary, which is kind of funny. Cause I'm actually, I've been chatting in our discord today about possibly venturing off into the world of uh, crypto mining. <laughs> I saw um, that. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I never really put any thought into it at all. Wasn't, wasn't an avenue I was interested in going down um if only because the overhead of having to buy a lot of rather pricey computer equipment um you know that 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 could potentially turn into a very large cost if the crypto tanks and now you're kind of stuck with it but then uh sam stoddard um same guy from my, my story at the top of the show tweeted out that the 
ROI on the 3080s, the RTX 3080. So if you're unfamiliar, um, NVIDIA released a new video card recently, um, a new video card line, the, the 30 series, and sort of the, the flagship model is the RTX 3080. The RTX is like ray tracing. Um, and they're very, very popular. Uh, no one can keep them in stock. If you want to buy one, it involves opening several website inventories and putting the page on refresh every 60 seconds and just never leaving your computer and it taking days, if not weeks, to get a hold of one. Um, they're a nightmare to get a hold of. And they're like $800. Uh, but the ROI on those is like three months, supposedly. Supposedly. Uh, and what that means is basically if you mine Bitcoin well, not Bitcoin, but cryptocurrency with that card for three months, even after accounting for the electricity cost, you made enough money in the crypto that you mine that you've now paid for the card hardware. So if the card's $800 and you spend, you know, whatever, 30 bucks in electricity over three months, you've earned that $830 back in crypto in, in three months. And then from then on, it's profit, right? It's just the electricity is what you're paying for. But your the crypto is worth way more than the electricity cost. So the idea of a three-month turnaround that is very appealing. Um, in the sense of like, boy, if I can get a whole rack of these things and just set them up and forget about it and just let them run after three months, it's profit. Uh, you know, some guy somewhere posted that he had enough cards set up that he was going to be making 200 grand a year mining. Now, the outlay for that hardware was probably 150,000, if not more, but whatever. He, you know, all he needs those, those numbers to do is remain relatively consistent for year-ish less than a year and then he suddenly can just quit his job and live on that mining rig um for a little while yeah right for you know crypto is a whole other universe anyone who's been playing the attention to bitcoin since whatever 2016 or something uh has seen the roller coaster that has been down i, I guess the thought being that uh I don't know. I saw I'm interested. It kind of got me thinking about it because the ROI is appealing in a, in a way that's different than magic investing, essentially. I, I went down that rabbit hole three years ago and because we have, we're on a grandfathered uh, lease agreement here. So we don't pay for utilities. Oh, my. Then you should be mining. It seems like there's like it's I, hard for it's hard to come up with a reason why you wouldn't then. Well, it's in my research at the time, it came down to hassle in terms of time spent, exp uh, expense and difficulty of, of getting the correct hardware. Because my understanding at the time was that if you have outdated hardware and in an industry where by design, the manufacturers of the best hardware for Bitcoin mining especially tend to use it themselves... <laughs> for a while before they sell it on to anybody else so that they're always ahead of the curve. Um, so expensive hardware, hassle to set up, and risk of maintenance being a problem if you're not highly specialized in hardware, but also the engineering required sometimes to vent the hardware in question. Um, we were originally looking at doing it here, but then I switched to Ellie's parents have a place up at the Blue Mountains, when they used to live in Toronto pre-COVID, now they live up there. So um, there's an opportunity because her father built an, basically an outer house on their property, which is like a shed, a tool room for him, basically. And 
he keeps it cold, but not outdoor temperature. So he could be running it outside. It wouldn't be noisy. It wouldn't be hot. It would be probably they wouldn't be able to hear it from the house. And that could be a real option. Um, but it is a hobby. It's, it's not the kind of thing where you just flick a switch and you're making a hundred bucks a month or whatever. It is much more involved than that. And I, and I did watch, there are some very, some of the purest forms of comedy on YouTube are the, the misadventures of people mm. trying to mine crypto from about three, four years ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. I saw some amazing videos of guys with these like crazy portable ductworks, like that were like running all through their house and their wives screaming at them that they were ruining their house and all sorts of nonsense. People who lit sure. things on fire and whatever. It's uh, <laughs> There's been plenty of mistakes made. Oh yeah, I don't doubt it. I my favorite is the guy who um oh God, he was generating a bunch of heat from his Bitcoin rig. So he he's trying to figure out how, what to do with the heat. He set up racks just like like kitchen cookie cooling racks over his Bitcoin rig which generated the heat and then would put fruit slices on it to dry the fruit. <laughs> And then he was selling bags of dried fruit, except like this was just like fruit this dude caught in his kitchen and threw and dried over a computer. And so somebody turned him into the FDA and he got in a bunch of trouble for that. And I'm pretty sure this same guy was also sleeping in that room and ended up with brain swelling from the heat. Oh my. Yeah. It was quite the story. Uh, I, so I agree with you. Bitcoin, you know, like anything libertarians get involved in, has some real, uh, some real pure humor in it. it, it yeah, on, on my on my end, I my office is. I live in Buffalo. My office has seven windows. I live on the waterfront. Keeping it warm in here can be pricey on its own. So I could just stick the rig in this room with me, and the heat that it generates is totally fine um, because it allows me to turn off the other heaters and just run that possibly. Now, what do I do in July? On I don't know. I don't have an answer for that at the moment, but uh, that was kind of my thinking. Yeah, but I mean that, that, that I, I I don't know. I, this is I guess is this a goal? I don't know. I just thought I, it came to me because you talk. We're talking about goals for this year, and I'm like, yeah, it would be nice to get that set up. That would be kind of cool. It's not really magic, but drying the fruit with his Bitcoin rigs is like the equivalent of fixing your your Pringled Commander Legends foils by offering to dry people's laundry with your magic cards. Yeah, it's. It's uh, it's inspired. I mean, I got to give the guy credit for that. I, anyway, I'm very excited to see you proceed with uh, with your research because I'm assuming you'll come to a conclusion. And if it is one that can be easily summarized in bullet points, maybe I can pass it on to Alitz's dad, and we can get a rig going for him up on the up in the Blue Mountains, where his hydro is probably pretty reasonable. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, my our electricity rates here in Buffalo are are seem to be better than the average, uh, possibly by like 50%. And that might be that we're um, right near Niagara Falls. Yeah. Um, that could be why. Uh, so not everyone is in the same position, but uh, yeah, I, I, I will. You, you will, of course, be uh, around to see whatever I decide upon here. 
Very interested to see how that goes. If all of you have any uh, interesting 2021 goals, whether pro trader or otherwise, feel free to hit us up. <laughs> If, if you have goals that you think we should be shooting for. <laughs> well, goals they want to discuss or have us talk about, like things that they're, they'd are they like to accomplish this year, but they need some help sussing out best approach, feel free to hit us up on social media or whatever, and maybe we'll talk about them in the next co- coming weeks. I would be curious if if uh, if anyone does have a, oh, this is what Travis and James should be shooting for in a, oh, sure. in a non-priggish way. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's a wrap for this week. Where can people find you online, my friend? Oh, I am on Twitter and my misadventures of Bitcoin mining, apparently, uh, at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via weekly articles. And uh, I guess no weekly articles anymore, but you can find me in the MTG Price Pro Trader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money. Playing Magic the Gathering, Flesh and Blood, Pokemon, Crypto, mm-hmm. apparently. We're going to be drying fruit, the whole nine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of options that we have available to us here. There really is. Uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast, which brings us to the end of episode 253, first of 2021. Um, And I will see you again next week, James. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.